Welcome to the Field of Church podcast. Our church inhales and exhales the gospel every Sunday and is excited to bring our messages to you here. Thank you for joining us and we hope God moves in your life as you listen into this feed. Hey guys, I'm going to go ahead and forewarn you that at the beginning of this sermon, it's not going to be like a normal sermon. We're going to have a super interactive type of sermon. There's going to be a whole lot of on-the-job training as we do this thing. So I'm going to give a little bit of teaching, and then you're going to put that teaching into practice. Then we're going to teach some more, put some more into practice, and we're kind of go back and forth for a little bit. So I hope you'll buckle up and get ready for it. It's all going to come from 1 Timothy. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up. 1 Timothy, we're going to be in chapter 2 this week. Now, in order for you to understand chapter two, we got to look at what we discovered in chapter one over the last couple of weeks. So going to a previously in First Timothy look. So two weeks ago, we talked about the reason why Paul wrote this letter to Timothy in the first place. There were some elders who were giving some false doctrine to the church in Ephesus and pulling people away from belief in the gospel. And so Paul calls Timothy to call them out and to correct this abuse. Specifically, they were teaching a wrong use of the law. Last week, we got to hear Paul instruct what the right use of the law is, to expose the sin inside of us. And then Paul, almost in an explosion, explains how he knows his own sin and how the law pointed out, but the gospel of Jesus was enough to give him mercy and grace. This week, we're going to see Paul take that gospel and tell us how it can expand to the ends of the earth. So that's the context as we jump in. 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in the first verse. Listen to what it says. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to to the knowledge of the truth. So he says, ultimately, God wants all people to be saved. He wants the gospel to spread. But did you notice how? He said through prayer. It says in verse 1, first of all, Now, when it says, first of all, that Greek means of first importance. In other words, the most important thing. If we want the gospel to spread, Paul says the most important thing is that we stop and pray, which I think is pretty incredible because Paul, he was a doer. He's the consummate doer. He was the missionary. He was the evangelist. He was the church planner. He was the guy who squeezed the most out of every second of every day for the kingdom. And when Paul says the way that we're going to advance the gospel most, the highest importance is prayer, that's saying something. I think what Paul is trying to teach us is that prayer is not something we do before we start ministry. Prayer is actually our greatest ministry of all. I had the honor for a season of sharing an office with a gentleman that many of you know at Fielder Church. His name is Jerry Morris. He's the longest tenured pastor here on staff at Fielder, and Jerry is a prayer warrior. But when I, when I got to share an office with him, he had this poster that was up on the wall. And I, and I used to love looking at it every single day. It had this caption that would say, make war on the floor. And then there's a guy bowing down, praying. And for some reason, that just struck me that this is our warfare. The way we war against evil isn't with bullets, isn't with bullhorns. It's with a bent knee. Yeah. It's with prayer. Right. And I think that's what's so incredible about the opportunity we have right now. I know that you're watching this from a living room or maybe from a patio or some other place. We're not able to gather together in the church, but here's also what I know. I know that right now, though we can't be together physically, spiritually, we can be together through prayer. We have the capacity right now to cry out in one spirit and in one heart and be completely together as we pray. And so we're going to turn this sermon into a prayer meeting right now, but we're going to have to start where Paul tells us to start. There's a real subtle point he makes. In fact, you might have missed it. 
He gave four words for how we pray. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings. Now, if you were to look at each one of these words, three kind of go together and one sticks out. I don't know if you ever played that game where which one doesn't belong. Well, there's one word here that doesn't belong. It's the word thanksgivings because supplications, prayers, and intercession all kind of fall in the same category. That's asking God to move on behalf of someone or in some situation. But thanksgiving isn't asking God to move. It's thanking him for him already moving. And so you might wonder why Paul would say, start with this if we want the gospel to spread. And I think it's in the answer to that that we learn an incredible truth about prayer. And I want you to hear this. The reason why we have to begin with thanksgiving is because if we want to see God continue to move, we have to recognize how he has already moved in the past. Now, now stop and hear that. The way we must begin prayer is recognizing with gratitude how God has already moved before we ask him to move in the future. I have a prayer mentor. His name is Clyde Hodson, and he's kind of drilled this idea into my prayer life. If we're going to approach God, we have to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. We have to make sure that we declare the goodness of God, ways we've already seen God, because when we remember he's been faithful in the past, we'll believe he'll be faithful in the future. And so one of the best things we can do right now is to begin by giving thanks to God. And so I'm gonna encourage you to pray and, and give grace, give gratitude to God, because he's already done so many things in your life. There are many of you who can praise God because he has saved your soul from the pit of hell. There are many of you right now and you still have a job when others have lost it. You, you can give thanks God, to God for giving you your job. Maybe you've lost your job, but you have a support system that's able to help you right now. You can give thanks to God for that. Maybe right now you have yet to get sick with COVID-19. You should be thanking God for that. Maybe you've already had it and you've actually been healed and restored. You should thank God for it. Maybe it's something God has done in your past. It was that check that you didn't know how it was gonna come, but it came out of nowhere to provide just for your need. It was that adoption thing that you were doing and God matched you with that child you didn't think he, was gonna, you didn't think he would match you with. God did something in your past that blew you away. You need to stop right now and remember it and thank him for it. And so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take a time right now to stop and pray. Some of you right now are having watch parties where you have a number of families with you. I wanna encourage you to spend some time letting multiple people pray. Now, you might just be with your family around the TV, but let multiple people pray. Even if you're all by yourself, I want to encourage you to pray. But I'm actually going to encourage you, if you're willing, to pray out loud. Now, listen, I know when I ask people to pray out loud, some people, it's really easy. You're used to praying out loud. That's no problem. But there are some of you right now, your palms are getting sweaty just at the thought of having to pray out loud. And if you're nervous about this, I want to make it easy for you. It's a very simple process. You can just close your eyes. And imagine there's a seat right next to you and God himself is sitting in that seat. And then just start talking to him. Because that's all prayer is, it's just talking to God. Start telling him, thank you for the things that you've done. That's all it means to pray out loud. And there's something that happens when we pray out loud to God, it sears it into our heart, the reason we have to be grateful. So the band's gonna play just some soft music. We're gonna have about three minutes. And I wanna encourage you to spend some time. You don't have to pray lengthy, long prayers. In fact, Jesus tells us not to do that just for show. They don't have to have some eloquent theological words. It can be simple. You're just telling God, thank you for the things that he's done. So spend the next few minutes thanking God out loud, and then we'll continue to worship. Go ahead and do that. And don't you just love the fact that we're a praying church? I wanna know I paid Mike extra money to say all those really nice things about me. So thanks, Mike, for doing that for me. And I'll, I'll pay you later. You know, I, I love the fact that you guys stopped and prayed for me and prayed for us and prayed for the pastors and prayed for the leaders. And not, not just because we benefit from it, though we do, 
But because you and I are saying we're not just going to talk about prayer, we're going to be a praying church. Praise the Lord for it. Now, I want you to know there's a reason why we asked you to pray, and it wasn't just to waste your time. It was because we believe God moves. God calls us to pray, and Paul told us the reason behind it. He said it very clearly in verses three and four, and we pray because it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved. We pray because God moves when we pray for the lost, and when we pray for the lost and, and God moves, God's heart is pleased because he wants all people to be saved. Now listen, I know the moment I say that and we read that God wants all people to be saved, there are some of you that really struggle with that comment. There's a little bit of a spiritual conundrum that comes into your mind that, that has to do with the sovereignty of God. Because here's what you're thinking. You're saying, okay, God wants all people to be saved and God is totally sovereign, meaning completely in control. But my problem is not all people come to believing faith in Christ Jesus. So if A equals B, then B equals C, and A should equal C. It should all work out, but it doesn't work out. So what's going on here? There's some kind of conundrum taking place. And, and I believe if you've ever struggled with that question, it's a great question to struggle with, but you've got to be really cautious because you can come to one of two extremes in how you try to solve that puzzle. There are some people on this extreme that say, well, this must mean God isn't sovereign. He wants all people to be saved, but not all people come to saving faith in Christ. Therefore, he must not truly be sovereign. Or people err on the other side, a la Rob Bell and Love Wins, and they say, okay, God wants all people to be saved, and he's sovereign, therefore, everybody's going to be saved. Doesn't matter what they believe, doesn't matter what they feel, they're, they're all going to be saved because God wants them all to be saved. I believe both of these are errors that have to be dealt with. And, and here's how we deal with it. I'm going to deal with the second one in a moment. I want to deal with the first one, though, this idea that maybe God's not sovereign because if he was, then everybody would come to faith. What you got to understand about the sovereignty of God is there are some nuances to it. So I'm going to give you a little theological lesson. The difference between the decreed will of God and the desired will of God. There is something called the decreed will of God, and this is what God ordains to take place. And when God ordains something to happen, no one and no thing can stop it. There are all kinds of examples of this in the Bible. You can go back to the book of Exodus and the fact that they were going to be set free. Ain't no Pharaoh, ain't no Egyptian army going to stop them. God has decreed it. They're going to be set free. You can keep going in it that one day from the line of David, a king's going to come. So even when the kings were wiped out, God had ordained they would be restored back to Israel. It happened because God ordained it. You move over to the New Testament and it was ordained that the son of God would take on flesh and be born and he would be crucified and that he would rise from the dead and ain't no stone gonna stop that from taking place. Why? Because God ordained it to happen. You can look all the way to the end of the Bible. One day Christ Jesus is gonna return at the second coming. No one and no thing can stop it because God has ordained it. That's the decreed will of God. But there's something else I mentioned before called the desired will of God. This is what the will that God desires for each and every single one of his followers. Now, if you want to know what that is, think maybe 10 commandments, right? Honor your father and your mother. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't, you know, don't covet. Those types of things. Those fall into the desired will of God. Let me tell you what that means. It means we can refuse it. We can choose not to do that. Though God wills it for us, we can choose to refuse that will. So I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I don't want you to be embarrassed. But how many of you out there, if I were to ask, you would have to raise your hand. I've lied before. I've been immoral before. I've dishonored my mother and my father. Dude, it's Mother's Day. Your mama's gonna throw a chancla at you if you lie about this one, all right? Absolutely, every single one of us have broken the desired will of God. That's what sin is. And what that proves is though it is the will of God, the thing that he desires, we can choose not to walk into it. 
Now, maybe you're going, okay, I, I hear you now, Jason, but why are you giving me this theology lesson? Well, what you got to understand when it says that he desires all people to be saved, that falls in not the decreed, but the desired will of God. In other words, we have the capacity to refuse it, which is why some do not believe in Jesus. That's also what it says that there has, he desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. The only way you can be saved is if you come to the knowledge of the truth, which is also what refutes that whole second error that everyone's going to be saved because God's sovereign. He wants all people to be saved. So everyone's going to go to heaven. That can't be true if this scripture is real, which I believe it is when it says you have to come to a knowledge of the truth. What this means is there is a knowledge necessary for salvation. There is a, a, a information you have to know and believe if you want to be saved. And that, that knowledge is what's called the gospel. In fact, he clarifies it perfectly in verses five through seven. Let's go back to the text. Let's keep on reading. First Timothy two, beginning in, in verse five. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is a testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I love how Paul goes, dude, I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. The reason he has to say that because he knows how incredible the gospel message is. The one he detailed in verses five and six. This message that there is a mediator named Jesus Christ who is a ransom that has saved us from our soul. That is the message of the gospel. There is a mediator who stands between you and I and God himself. Which you might go, why do we need a mediator? The reason why is because we have sinned against this holy, perfect, just God. We have, though he has loved us and created us and breathed life into us and done nothing but good to us, we have turned our backs on him. We have rebelled against him and chose to serve ourselves instead of him. We have made ourselves enemies of this God. And therefore we have asked ourselves or put upon ourselves through our own doing the very wrath of God that is just and deserved. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish. God said, I want to put somebody in between my wrath and your sin. And that person is Jesus. And that person stands there to absorb the very wrath of God. How? By becoming, like it says here, a ransom. He pays the penalty of that by sacrificing himself on the cross of Jesus Christ so that that, uh, that wrath can be absorbed in his body. And then three days later, the father raises him up from the dead so that he can be a mediator that can reconcile us back to the father. And the most beautiful truth is he still mediates today for us. He is right now before the father saying, no, take this person's prayer. When you prayed earlier, Jesus was saying, father, take this prayer. He's mediating for us because he's been resurrected from the dead. That's the message of the gospel. That's the, the knowledge necessary for salvation. Now, look, I gotta be honest with you. When you look at the message of the gospel, it is incredibly inclusive and painfully exclusive at the exact same time. I mean, make no mistake about it. The message of the gospel is an exclusive gospel. It says there is only one God. There are not many gods. There's not Allah. There's not Shiva and Vishnu and uh, all these other gods that are, there is one God and it's Yahweh God. And he says there's one mediator between God and man. In other words, there's not a whole bunch of different pathways to make it up to Yahweh God. There is one pathway to make it to him, and it is Christ Jesus. He is claiming exclusivity. Jesus himself said, it. if you go read John 14, 6, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Make no mistake about Jesus' teaching. He says, I am the exclusive way. Now, I know there are some of you that feel very uncomfortable with that truth. That bothers you. Why can't we all just be different religions that make our way to the same God? Because Jesus said it can't be that way. It is exclusive. 
But listen, the thing that will liberate you is when you also remember that the gospel is radically inclusive. It includes everyone. It said it right there that he became a ransom for all. He gave himself as a ransom for all. You want to know what that means? It means he became a ransom not just for Christians. He became a ransom for Muslims, for Buddhists, for Hindus, for atheists. It means that Jesus Christ became a ransom for every single person, not just for Hispanics, not just for whites, not just for blacks, not just for Asians, for every single human being who would call upon his name. It didn't matter if they're rich or poor, if they're tall or short, if they're thin or not so thin, if they're young or old, it doesn't matter who they are, they have access to the Father through the ransom who is Christ Jesus. That's the most beautiful, liberating, inclusive truth of all. There are not many pathways. There's one pathway, it's Christ, but there are so many different ways to get to Christ. If we would just turn to him. That right there is the message of the gospel. And the question is, will we turn to him? Look, guys, you've just heard me spell out the gospel for you. I've just given you the knowledge that you need. The question is, will you believe it? Listen, the Father has already told us through this passage, he wants you to be saved. He desires all people to be saved. That includes you. Right now, the one who's looking at my finger, you. I'm talking to you. God wants you to be saved. It says it right here in his word. But remember, this falls under the desired will of God, not the decreed. He's not gonna force you to choose him. He gives you an option. And you've got to decide right now, am I going to choose to accept the ransom that was paid for my sin? Am I going to choose to trust in this good God and let Jesus be my mediator? Or am I going to try to do it on my own? Or am I going to reject God completely? What's your choice? Listen, I believe there are some of you who are watching this right now. And God is telling you, it is time for you to make a decision. It is time for you to turn to him in faith and to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Listen, it is the easiest thing and the hardest thing you will ever do to trust in Jesus Christ. It's easy because all you gotta do is ask for it. But it's hard because it requires you to humble yourself and confess your sin and your need for somebody to be a ransom for you. It's easy because you don't have to earn it, you don't have to pay for it, you don't have to work your way toward it. But it's hard because the moment you ask for it, God takes over not just a little bit, but every area of your life, body, soul, mind, strength, all that you are. But it is the most important decision you will ever make. And I'm just wondering, in light of this passage of scripture, are you at a place where you're finally ready to say, God, I need you, come in, take over. I know I need a ransom. I know I need a mediator. If you're ready to make that decision, and you can do it right now, there are no magical words you gotta repeat after me. All you gotta do is recognize your sin, that you need a ransom, and recognize you need a mediator, and give yourself over to Christ Jesus, that's it. And when you call upon him, you'll be saved. If you're ready to do that today, then we want to partner with you. There are two ways that, that you can make this decision. One of the best ways you can do it is to let us know digitally. You can grab your phone. You can text the word next step to 94253. And when you do that, you'll get a little form you can fill out or you can go to filler.org slash next step. And when you do that, that form right at the very top, there'll be a place where it says, I would like to place my faith in Christ. And you just check that, fill it out, take you just a couple of minutes. And what'll happen is a pastor will reach out to you by, by phone, by text, by email, however you prefer. And we're gonna connect with you. We're gonna partner with you. We're gonna send you a gift to help you begin your faith in Christ Jesus. But it begins by you letting us know. Now, another way for you to let us know is you, you may be at a watch party right now. You can let the host of this watch party know that you are ready to place your faith in Christ Jesus. They would love to pray with you in person. And then they'll connect you back with us so that we can make sure that we get you what you need to start this journey of faith. But the most important thing is that you take a step now. 
Don't miss this opportunity. Listen, I also know there are many of you watching this and you've already made that decision to place your faith in Christ. You've called upon him to save you from your sin. You've let Jesus be your mediator. Now there's a different response you need to make this morning. You need to go right back to where we went to the beginning, back to gratitude, back to thanksgiving. If anybody has a reason to thank God, it is you and I who have been redeemed from our sin. We have a ransom who was paid and it was not a cheap ransom. It cost Jesus his body and his blood. And I think you and I need to stop right now and remember that as we take the Lord's Supper. Listen, we're gonna sing a song that that speaks about the faithfulness of God. Great is thy faithfulness. That beautiful hymn that reminds us who our God is. But I want you right now, if you're a believer in Jesus, to prepare your heart to take the Lord's Supper. Now, one of you during the song can go get all the supplies that you need and you can bring them back. But the rest of you, I want you to think about the bread and the cup and the body and the blood of Jesus. I want you to think about the ransom that was paid for you. This is the level of God's love for you. He loved you so much, he was willing to go to a cross to save you, to be that ransom, to absorb the wrath of God, even when you didn't deserve it. And let your heart explode with gratitude and appreciation for all that God's done. Remember his faithfulness in the past because then you'll be compelled to trust him for your future. But now's the time. Let's get ready to take the Lord's Supper. Let's worship him. And when we're done with the song, I'll come back and I'll lead us in the taking of the Lord's Supper.